Good morning, Keystone. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, if you did not pick up one of these cups on your way in, we're going to be celebrating communion later together as a church. Uh, and at Keystone, one of the things you'll hear say over and over again is communion is a family meal. Uh, so in other words, if you are part of the family of God, you've trusted in Christ to save you, whether you call Keystone home or not, we want you to celebrate with us this morning. And so if that's you and you didn't get one of these cups, could you just pop up your hand really quick? We have ushers who have those, and they'll be coming around to hand them out to you so that you have them from when we're ready to celebrate later this morning. Uh, and I'll give you a heads up. We're going to do something a little bit different with communion, uh, and we're going to put into practice some of what we talk about in the message this morning just so that you kind of have a heads up that there's something coming with that. Uh, I want you this morning to imagine a scenario to start out with me. And, and in imagining the scenario, I want you to really try to feel what this would be like. And maybe you don't have to imagine very much because maybe this is you this morning or maybe this was you recently. But here, here's the scenario. I want you to imagine that this morning is your very first morning at Keystone Church. It's the first time you walk through those doors. It's the first time you set foot in this auditorium. It's the first time you sat through a worship service here at Keystone. I want you to imagine with me, what, what would you be thinking and feeling if that was true of you this morning? At some point, you heard about Keystone, whether online or from someone else, or maybe just in driving by the church. And this morning, you decided to come. Maybe a friend or family member invited you, or maybe you just decided to come on your own and said, hey, we're going to go check it out. And, and so you woke up this morning maybe feeling a little bit excited, but also probably feeling a little bit nervous. What, what would you find? Where would you sit? Who would you talk to? If you have kids, how, how would they respond? How would they do in the kids' ministry, kids' classes? What's the music going to be like? How long is the preacher going to preach? Will anyone talk to me? What's it going to be like, feel like? You, you arrive in a parking lot you've never been to before, probably confused by why do we have two parking lots and two buildings, but hopefully you found the right parking lot eventually. You get out of your car and you see a sea of unfamiliar faces of people also getting out of their cars. You, you walk in, you walk through the front doors, and you're immediately confronted with another sea of unfamiliar faces. Then you eventually make your way into here, the, the auditorium, and you've got to decide, well, where do I sit? I don't want to take someone else's seat, but I also don't want to sit alone, so where do I kind of place myself that maybe neither of those things happen? And, and then you sit through a service that's unfamiliar to you. You don't know the kinds of ins and outs of what does Keystone do on a Sunday morning. And, and then the service ends, and you've got to decide, well, do I go straight for the doors, or do I just kind of stand around and wait and see what happens? Like, it takes a lot of courage to walk through church doors on a Sunday morning. And not just for the first time, but in some ways, every single week as we gather and whether or not you feel welcomed as you gather with the church can make a really big difference. Not just on that first Sunday morning, but also every single Sunday morning as we gather together. Whether we feel welcomed by other people can make a huge difference. Which leads to this question. Is Keystone a welcoming church? Is Keystone a welcoming church? How would you 
answer that question. Maybe some of you say, yes, Keystone is a very welcoming people and place. Because when we talk about the church, we're talking about people, the people of God, but also a place where we gather. Maybe some of you say, yes, it's, it's one of the most welcoming people and places I've ever been to. Maybe other people would say, well, Keystone feels nice, uh, but, but it's really hard to break into and get connected. Or maybe other people would say, I'm not sure how to answer that question because sometimes I, I feel welcomed and connected and at home, it, and other times I feel alone and on the outside. See, it, the, the problem with that question is that an accurate answer can be hard to come by because our own personal experience dictates how we answer that question. So my, my goal this morning isn't actually to answer the question, is Keystone a welcoming church? Although I do want that question to be kind of rolling around in our minds as we talk this morning. Ra- rather, my hope is for us to look at and hopefully find some answers to three other questions related to being a welcoming church, and they're these. First of all, who is responsible for the church being a welcoming church? Who is responsible for the church being a welcoming people in place? Second, what is involved in being a welcoming, welcoming church? What does it take to be a welcoming church? And then third, why should we care about whether the church is welcoming? Why should we care whether the church, not just Keystone, but, but every church, is welcoming or not? And together we're going to look for answers to those questions in Romans 15, 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there, Romans 15, 1 through 7. But I want to clarify several things just before we read that passage and even jump in this morning, because I think it's important to have some clarification up front uh, on what we're talking about this morning. First of all, while my focus this morning is on Keystone Church, this people, this place, because we're at Keystone Church, what I'm going to say applies far more broadly to every single church gathering and to every single person who would say they're a Christian and so belong to the family of God in the church. Second, being a welcoming church is not just about welcoming new people into the church. And while that may feel like the emphasis at times this morning, being a welcoming church is about us being able to welcome one another week by week by week, no matter how long we've been at Keystone, not just the people who might be here for the first time or relatively new, And then third, I'm going to be pretty narrow in my application this morning, really focusing on what does it look like for us to be welcoming when we gather together, whether on a Sunday morning or any other time we gather together. But, But what is said should apply much more broadly to what it looks like for followers of Christ to be welcoming people throughout all of their lives. And we're really going to hit on some of that later on as we go through this series. And so while this morning is focused maybe more narrowly on how do we be a welcoming church when we gather, it also applies more broadly. So with all of that in mind, let's read Romans 15, 1 through 7 this morning. These are the words of Paul, but ultimately the words of God to the Roman church and also to us as the church. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Father, we pray this morning to you. You are the holy, powerful, incomparable God who went to such great lengths to welcome us into your family. I pray that we would be reminded this morning both of the great lengths that you went to welcome us in, but also of then the calling you place on us as your people to be welcoming towards one another. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would convict, encourage, and build us up as only you can through your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that somehow, some way, uh, my words might be used by you to do that. And whatever I say that isn't used to that end would be forgotten. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the final verse of what we just read highlights the fact that we are called to, or the church is called to, be a welcoming people. Pa- Paul says we're called to welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. That's what we're called to. Ray Ortland says the word translated welcome means take to oneself. It's the opposite of aloofness. Christ didn't stay at a cool distance. He didn't bring us in but keep holding his nose. He welcomed us and wholeheartedly. So that's what we're called to as well as God's people. But if you notice that verse, verse 7, begins with, therefore. And so it's pointing us back to, well, what came before this verse that we just read in chapter 15 that's building up to this calling we have to be a welcoming people? And if we look back at what came before, we can find who's responsible for welcoming one another, uh, what that's going to involve, and why we should care about it at all. And so we might look first of all and ask, well, who's responsible for the church being a welcoming church? The responsibility of being a welcoming church. Now, let's get some context here, though, as we seek to answer this question, because I think that's important. If you come to the book of Romans, and if you're familiar with the book of Romans, you'll know this. If not, this is just a real quick overview. The first 11 chapters of Romans are Paul laying out this incredible description of the gospel. In other words, he's saying, here is what God has done through his son, Jesus, to save you and me. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And here's what it means for your past, present, and future. Then he gets to chapters 12 through 16, and he turns, and he starts to work out some specific implications or applications of the gospel, what it means for how we should live as followers of Christ. And in chapter 14, he's specifically dealing with disagreements within the church when it comes to convictions about what people might eat or drink. Right? So there's this disagreement in the Roman church about what you might eat or drink as a Christian. And so Paul's dealing with the convictions and how we should respond. And so then he gets to chapter 15, and in chapter 15, verse 1, he gives us this principle that's looking back on how people should relate to each other in the context of those disagreements. And it's a principle that's rooted in the gospel that can be worked out in all sorts of other ways in our lives, including in 
who is responsible for welcoming as a church. So here's the, the principle. Those who are strong are responsible to serve and care for those who are weak. Those who are strong are responsible to care and serve, or serve and care for those who are weak. That's a gospel principle you see not only in Romans, but over and over and over again, ultimately demonstrated in Christ, the one who was stronger than anyone else because he's God, and yet came to serve and go lower than anyone else. We read in verse 1 of chapter 15, we who are strong have an obligation or responsibility to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. I I don't think failings is actually a great translation there because it ends up conveying that there's some sort of like moral failing and that's not what it's saying. I think actually better would just be saying weaknesses or need. That that this verse is, maybe a good summary of this verse is simply those who are strong are responsible to care about and help those who are weak or in need. Now, how can that gospel principle be applied to help us answer the question, who is responsible for Keystone being a welcoming church? Well, let's think about who is in a position of strength at Keystone, relationally. Those who have been at Keystone longer, who are more familiar with the church and more connected to the church, right? They're in a position of strength because they're familiar and connected. So who's in a position of weakness then? Those who are newer and so aren't nearly as familiar with Keystone, what happens here, what it's like, and are far less connected relationally here at Keystone. Now that can seem a little vague though, because how do you measure, well, how connected are you? Who's not connected? So I'm going to be even more specific in driving home kind of the application of this to answer the question, who's responsible for Keystone being a welcoming church and really any church being a welcoming church? Those who call Keystone home are responsible for Keystone being a welcoming church. Every single person who would say, this is my home church, is responsible for this church being a welcoming church. Whether you're a member or an attendee, if you call Keystone home, you and I are responsible. The responsibility does not ultimately lie on our welcome team or our greeters or the pastors or the staff or just the extroverts among us who love talking to people. The responsibility lies with every single person who calls Keystone home. And if that's you and that's me, then we are the ones who need to seek to make our home a welcoming home. Harry Truman was president of the United States in the late 1940s and beginning of 19. I think up to the 1950s, I'm losing my dates on that. But he was famous for having a little sign on his desk. And maybe you can see the sign in that picture. The sign says, the buck stops here. The buck stops here. And you probably heard that phrase before as well. I don't know if it originated with him or if he just had the sign. But you've heard that phrase, the buck stops here. What, what does that mean? It means the responsibility lays here. It means I, I'm not passing the responsibility off to someone else Rather, the responsibility lays right here. And so we might ask, well, where does the buck stop for Keystone being a welcoming church? At the foot of every single person who calls this church home. That's where the buck stops. And the danger, I think, with the larger a church becomes is the more we can all start to outsource ministry including welcome, which is ministry, 
And so our tendency, or we might start to have a mindset of thinking, well, someone else will do that. And so if there's a person who we don't recognize, whether they're new or not, or someone who just seems to be standing off by themselves, we can start to think, well, surely someone else will go talk to that person. I'll just confess, that's my tendency. Like on a Sunday morning, if I see someone who's maybe new, I don't recognize, or I haven't talked to in a while, and maybe someone's standing off by themselves, my tendency is to say, well, Keystone's a big church. Like surely someone else will go sit by that person, talk to that person, welcome that person, rather than recognizing maybe God's prompting me to go do that. Here's what I would suggest. If we want to be or remain a welcoming church, then it starts with us recognizing it's the responsibility of everyone who calls this church home to make it a welcoming church. Because if not everyone takes responsibility for it, then likely there will be still people who walk through our doors who don't feel welcomed, whether for the first time or they've been here for many years. And if we recognize this as a responsibility we have from God, Right? Not from me, from God, because this verse says we're obligated, the strong are obligated, well, by who? By God, to care for those who are weak. If we recognize that's a responsibility we have from God, then we might ask, well, what is involved in being a welcoming church? What does that take for us to be a welcoming church? Which gets to the cost of being a welcoming church. Verses 2 through 3 give us a picture of what will be involved in being a welcoming church. And a pointer to what Jesus has done in welcoming us into God's family. And those things always go hand in hand. Always go hand in hand. And so let's read those verses again, 2 and 3 in Romans 15. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. This is right after Paul says we shouldn't just please ourselves, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good. To build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. In these verses, we find that being a welcoming church will involve a cost for every single one of us. There is a price to pay if we want to be or remain a welcoming church. Everyone who belongs to a church would say that they want the church to be a welcoming church, right? Like, everyone would say that. Yeah, I I want the church to be welcoming. No one comes to church and says, yeah, I want my church to be an unwelcoming place, right? It sounds like a really nice idea. But Paul is pressing us in these verses and saying, but Kyle, are you willing to pay the price to make the church a welcoming people in place? Because if not, it will only remain a nice idea and not an actual reality. Every year in January, there's a significant rise in the amount of people who get gym memberships or who buy gym equipment or who make a plan to go running and jogging throughout the year, right? Why? Because being healthy and getting in shape sounds like a really nice idea at the beginning of a new year, right? Everyone, no one's saying, I don't want to do that. Everyone says, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Do you know how many people still have a gym membership five months later after January and May? Statistics say about 
80% of the people drop off, and I'm going to guess of those 20% of the people that remain, 15% of them just forgot to cancel their gym membership, and so it's still charging their bank account, right? Why? Why is that? Because while getting in shape and being healthy sounds like a nice idea, a lot of people, myself included, aren't willing to pay the price it takes to actually do that. The same thing is true of being a welcoming church. It sounds like a nice idea, but if we aren't willing to pay the price in some way, it's never going to happen. But, but notice, Paul is not just giving us a motivational speech here, like trying to pump us up. Rather, he's saying, hey, look back at Jesus. Look, remember what he did. Remember the price he paid to welcome me and you into his family. See the cost he paid, and see that's also the cost we're called to pay in a smaller way. So what, what will that cost involve? The cost will involve a shift of focus on Sunday mornings. A shift in focus in why we're coming to church on Sunday mornings. Paul tells us we're, we're not to seek to please ourselves, but to please others, to build them up for their good. That means as we come to church, we don't just come with a mindset of what can I get, what ministry can I receive, although that's part of it, but also how can I minister to other people? How can I care for other people? How can I get to know other people? How can I welcome other people? Church can really easily become one more exercise in just pleasing ourselves, where we sit in a familiar place, we talk to familiar people, we go through familiar motions, and then we walk out the doors and do it all over again the next Sunday. Right? There's this constant temptation that church just becomes one more exercise in kind of pleasing ourselves. And yet in our gathering, we're not meant to look for ways to please ourselves, but how can I please and minister towards other people? Because we're gathering to worship a Savior who didn't please himself, but who took on flesh and blood to come and serve us. And if that's the Savior we worship, then we're also called to look for small ways that we can love and serve and minister to other people. And welcoming another person is one of the most practical ways we can minister to each other on a Sunday morning. The, the cost will also involve giving something up. You might think, well, what, what might we have to give up to be a welcoming church? Or what might you already be giving up in an effort to welcome other people? It might mean giving up our timeline for a Sunday morning where we have to arrive earlier or stay later so that we can linger in the lobby or on the playground and make space for conversations. It might mean we have to give up our familiar place to sit on a Sunday morning in order to sit in a place where we're surrounded by people we, we don't know as well. It might mean we, we might have to give up to talking to our friends first after the service is over and instead go and talk to someone we don't know as well and then talk to friends after that. It might me mean we have to leave our care group to start a new care group so that other people can get connected to Keystone as well and build relationships. It might mean we have to give up time with our family to invite other people into our home who we don't know as well. More on that next week. But notice again how Paul directs our eyes back to Jesus. What did he give up to welcome us in? We talked about this in our Christmas series. He gave up heaven and all the comforts of being God to take on a human body and all the limitations of this body to welcome me and you into his family. 
And if that's the Savior we worship, then surely he can empower us to be able to give things up as well in order to welcome others in. And the cost will also involve absorbing discomfort. Picture this with me for a moment. Picture a scenario with me. Let's say there's someone here at Kisun on a Sunday morning who's either new or standing alone or just kind of seems to be off by themselves. They are likely experiencing a sense of discomfort as they're gathering with the church. Now, for you or I or anyone else to go up to that person and seek to start a conversation is going to involve a certain amount of discomfort on your part, right? Because it's going to mean you might say something dumb or not know what to say, or maybe it feels awkward. But as you move towards that person, what's happening? You're seeking to relieve the discomfort they feel by making yourself uncomfortable. You see that? To relieve whatever discomfort they feel by making yourself uncomfortable. And every single time that happens at Keystone or any other church, it's a picture of the gospel where I take someone else's discomfort and I bear it so that they might find comfort. Right? That's exactly what Paul is saying. He's pointing us back to the gospel, saying the reproaches of those who reproached God fell on him. That's the gospel, right? Jesus takes my sin and my punishment so that I go free. Jesus takes my sickness, my illnesses, my humanity, so that one day I get healed. Right? That's Matthew 8:17. He bore our sicknesses and illnesses. Jesus suffers so that I find comfort. And now we're called to do the same thing for one another, not in paying the price for each other's sin, but in suffering in small ways so that other people might be comforted as we face discomfort. Welcoming one another is one of the most practical ways we demonstrate the gospel as we gather together on a Sunday morning. Listen to Sam Alberry. He says, welcoming others reenacts the gospel itself, especially as we open up our homes and hearts to those we might not even know. It deepens our openness to Christ. Welcoming others can re-internalize the welcome of Christ to us. Let me read that second part again. It deepens our openness to Christ. Welcoming others can re-internalize the welcome of Christ to us. Do you hear what he's saying? That welcoming one another is not just a way that we demonstrate the gospel, it's also a way we drive the gospel down deeper into our own hearts. And so if the gospel seems bland and boring and old news, one of the ways to actually make it new again is to welcome other people and remember, oh yeah, this is what Jesus did to me and he paid a far greater price to do it for me. Which then gets to our third question this morning. Why should we care about being a welcoming church? Why should this why should we care about it? Why should we seek to do this? What, what's behind it all? Which gets to the purpose of being a welcoming church. This is where we have to, I think, work to follow Paul's argument in those verses we read in order to understand why being a welcoming church is such a big deal. And, and so if you've got your Bible, you can look back with me, and I want us to follow his argument up to verse 7 that says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He starts in verse 1, if you look at it, he starts in verse 1 by giving us a gospel principle to live out. Those who are in a position of strength should care about those who are in a position of weakness or need. Then he explains, this is verse 2, that to live this out means not seeking to please ourselves, but to please others. That I don't seek what's best for me, but I seek what's best for others. 
he then grounds that, this verse 3, in a gospel proclamation. Here's what Jesus did for you. And he quotes Psalm 69.9. The reproaches of those who reproach God fell on his shoulders. And since he's quoting scripture to demonstrate that, it leads him then to an aside to tell us all scripture is given by God to us, not just to the initial people who heard it, but to us to instruct us and encourage us. Then he highlights, this is verse 5, the goal of the instruction he's just given in verses 1 through 3 is that through that instruction, God would grant the church to live in relational harmony with one another. Unity, togetherness. Relational harmony, unity, togetherness can't happen unless we're seeking to welcome one another. Because if we just walk in and walk out on a Sunday morning, we may never have any beef with each other, but we only remain strangers to each other. And so relational harmony requires that we're seeking to welcome one another and get to know one another. But notice the end goal of Paul's instruction is not simply the harmony or unity of the church. That's not where he stops because he gets to verse 6 and it's all building up to this where he says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of being a welcoming church is not simply about having a nice little church. The goal of being a welcoming church is the glory of God. We welcome because of glory. One of my favorite movies is a movie you've probably seen or heard of, Remember the Titans. And in Remember the Titans, the coach is trying to figure out how do I get my black players and white players to welcome one another and build a type of relational harmony with one another. But if you've seen that movie, you know the goal is not just to have a nice little football team that gets along. What's the goal? A state championship. Glory. The goal of welcoming one another is not just so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, yes, Keystone is a nice church. The goal of welcoming one another is not just so that we can add numbers to our church because people say, well, that's a welcoming place. The goal is not that Keystone would be known as the welcoming church. The goal is God's glory. That as we gather together, we display a type of community that's rooted in and reflects the gospel. And as we do that, we glorify the God who's created and sustains that community. And we demonstrate the gospel in our culture so that others who look in might say, I want to be a part of that. Not because Keystone is such a great church, but because I want to know the God they serve who makes them into that type of people. So to put that positively, a welcoming church demonstrates the gospel and displays God's glory. Now, I also want to put that negatively because I want to hopefully drive home what's at stake in us being a welcoming church. And this helped to drive it home in my own heart this past week. And frankly, my own heart needs this series and to be convicted by this series just as much as anyone else, if not more. And so here's a way to put that negatively. An unwelcoming church, or we might just say a church that fails to welcome, will be deficient in its worship and defective in its witness. An unwelcoming church will be deficient in its worship and defective in its witness. An unwelcoming church, or a church that is not actively seeking to be welcoming, is maybe a little bit like a cookie without sugar. What do I mean by that? 
Well, a cookie without sugar still looks like a cookie. Like you couldn't tell from the outside, it still looks like a cookie. But when you bite into it, it tastes nothing like a cookie because it's missing all the sweetness. It's deficient and it's defective. So too, a church that proclaims the gospel in its preaching and singing and yet fails to reflect the gospel in its culture and gathering will end up being deficient in its worship and defective in its witness. It may look and sound like a church, and it may even be growing in size and number and have lots of exciting things happening at it, but it will end up unsaying in its culture what we say in our preaching and singing. This is what drove it home from this week. Do you see what's at stake in our welcome, our worship of God, and our witness to the gospel? At Keystone, we would say we exist for the glory of God. That's on our mission statement somewhere, I think. We would say we're a gospel-centered church. It's on our old sign right out front as you drive in if you look at it. And yet to be a God-glorifying and gospel-centered church is more than just the songs we sing and the Bible we preach, although that's a really significant part of it. It's also the culture we have as we gather together and whether we welcome one another. And so this leads to the big idea. I saved it till we got farther in. Being a God-glorifying and gospel-centered church means being a welcoming church. Being a God-glorifying and gospel-centered church means being a welcoming church, which actually should be encouraging because it means one of the most practical ways you and I can glorify God as we gather together and demonstrate the gospel is by going up to someone else, having a conversation with them, and talking to them, seeking to know them and love them, whether they're someone that's new or someone that's been here for a while, which gets then to the application of this message, the practices of being a welcoming church. And I mentioned some of this already, but I'll just kind of summarize it here. I'll give four practices. You could come up with more, uh, but I'll just give four to kind of get our minds thinking. What does it look like for us to practice being a welcoming church? Make time and space to welcome. If we don't intentionally make time and space to welcome one another, it will just remain a nice idea and not an actual reality. And so making time and space to welcome one another means thinking about Sunday mornings and thinking about how can I build in time and space into my Sunday morning that might provide me with opportunity to talk to others and welcome them in on a Sunday morning. Again, maybe sitting in an unfamiliar place, maybe coming early, maybe staying late. But if we don't think through how am I going to make time and space for that, it it won't ultimately happen. Second, then, that gets to make a plan to welcome. I attached a couple articles to your notes that, that might give some suggestions of how do we make a plan to be welcoming on a Sunday morning. But I'll just highlight a couple of their suggestions. First, introduce yourself to one, new per, or one person each Sunday. Introduce yourself to one person each Sunday. That might not mean introducing yourself to someone new every Sunday. It might mean that, but it might just mean going up to someone you don't know as well, seeking to talk to them, have a conversation with them. And making a plan might also mean that you actually plan in advance what questions I want to ask that person. Because if you're more introverted like I am, you might get to that conversation, say hi, and then what do I say next? And so actually thinking in advance, oh, here's what I want to ask this person, might actually be part of making a plan. And as you do it, it might become more natural where you don't just have to plan that. 
Ask, second, ask God to guide your availability. Pray as, as you're on your way to church or after the service ends. God, who do you want me to talk to this morning? Guide me. And then it might be a new person or it might be something, someone you know really well already who just needs to have a conversation that morning. And then third, write down names. Again, these are just suggestions for making a plan. But after you meet someone new or reintroduce yourself to someone you already got their name but you have to get it again, try to write down their name and then maybe in the coming weeks, you follow up again, have another conversation with that person, and get to know a little bit more about them. Those are just some suggestions. Third thing, take a risk. Take a risk. Walk towards someone else, introduce yourself, start to see a conversation, and see, or try to start a conversation and see what happens. If it feels awkward, that's okay. Can I tell you, awkward is one of the hurdles we're going to have to get over because it is going to feel awkward at times to be a welcoming church. And that's a hurdle that we've got to say, but that's okay. It's all right if I feel awkward. Like, it's, it's okay if you make a mistake and say something dumb. You probably will, and God will still use that, and you'll have a funny story for later at the dinner table in the day, where you can say, hey, you'll, get, you'll never guess what I said to someone this morning. I can tell you conversations like that have happened at the Kaufman household, and it's usually me who's saying that. Hey, you'll never guess what I said this morning, Right? Then thir- fourth, repeat. Plan to do it all over again next Sunday. Now, now before we take communion together, I want to share some hopeful encouragement to end. And here it is. Small acts of welcome can go a long way in God's hands. Small acts of welcome can go a really long way in God's hands. I remember one example of this from when I was a youth pastor. There was an evening at junior high, kind of near the beginning of the year, where we were outside over at the youth center, and so everyone's kind of in the grass over there. And after the evening started, uh, there's three kind of eighth grade boys, I think they're eighth grade boys, who come walking across our parking lot and just kind of stand in the corner of the parking lot. And they're putting off this very standoffish vibe because everyone else is kind of up in the field and they're just standing over there, kind of putting off this vibe of like, we're here, uh, but we're too cool to really interact with anyone. I don't know if that's how they felt. That's just the vibe that like I took in and was getting. And this is no credit to me at all because I saw them and I kind of stood there and I watched them in the corner and I thought, oh, I really don't want to go up and talk to them. Um, oh, but I am the youth pastor, so I guess I probably should do that. <laughs> Uh, so I'll go, I'll have a conversation with them. So I go up to them, I introduce myself, I get their names. I think it probably took me like two or three times kind of asking, can you, can you say your name again? I didn't quite get it. Uh, and then I, I put up my fist for a fist bump. This is usually what I would do as a youth pastor. I'd get someone's name if they're new, put up a fist for a fist bump, say, hey, welcome to Keystone, glad you're here. I put up my fist for a fist bump. No one bumps back. No one. They stare at me. They all three just look at me. My fist is hanging midair. And I'm left thinking, what do I do next? Do I bump it myself? Do I explode it? I I don't know what the protocol is for this. So I put my hand down, say something really awkward, like, well, see you later, uh, and walk away, thinking, oh my goodness, that was such a bust. What is wrong with you, Kyle? You are an awkward youth pastor, whatever else was going through my mind. Anyway, eventually forget. Three weeks later, I think it was three weeks later, it might have been longer, one of those boys walks through the door again. This time we're inside, and they walk through the youth center doors. And I happen to be standing up there as he walks through, and I see him, and so I say, hey, and then I say his name. By God's grace, I remembered his name because most often I forgot names. So somehow I remembered his name, said, hey, and then his name. 
And I'll, I'll never forget what happened next. He literally stopped. He was kind of looking at the ground, literally stopped, looked up, and with the shock in his face said, you remember my name? Now that story isn't like a nice bow on top story because I don't know how much longer he actually came to Keystone Youth. I think he maybe only came three or four other times. And, and I never really had any in-depth conversations with him. I never really got to know him. I don't remember his name anymore. I don't know where he's at. But man, I like to look back and think that maybe, just maybe by God's grace, he got a taste of what it's like to be welcomed into God's family. That it means coming to a place where people seek to know your name because God knows your name and he created you. And maybe, just maybe by God's grace, he's using that. I share that story not because I'm good at welcoming. Like I said, I can assure you this series is very convicting for me but because in my mind, it's one of the ways God has shown me that small, awkward, fumbling, bumbling acts of welcome can be used by him in significant ways. So let's fumble and bumble and try our best to welcome one another, knowing that we serve a God who loves to take fumbling, bumbling people like us and use us to display his glory and advance his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we pray to you. As Paul says in this passage, ultimately you are the only one who can grant this type of relational harmony that demonstrates the gospel and brings you glory. No matter how hard we might try, the results are not in our efforts. It's not a pick-me-up by my bootstraps and try to be welcoming. Rather, it's a faith that you're a God who can use even us to create a type of place where everyone feels welcomed, where everyone feels known, where everyone feels loved. And God, I think we, we all long for the church to be that. We long for you to make your church that. And so we're praying that by your grace, you would do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to celebrate communion together. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's going to be costly in a small way. I want you to stand up, I want you to take your stuff, and I want you to find a new seat somewhere in the auditorium and try to sit next to someone who you don't know as well or who you don't know at all, okay? Anywhere, you can find anywhere, any new seat, but I want you to stand up, take your stuff, if you're able to. If you're not able to, stay seated, that's fine, but if you're able to, stand up, take your stuff. Uh, it's gonna feel a little chaotic for a moment, but find a new seat somewhere in the auditorium next to someone you don't know as well. All right, all right, I'll explain why we did that in a minute. There's more to this, there's more to this. But if you'll come back together with me, you can pull out, pull out your communion cups for a minute. I'll explain why we did that in a minute, why we're doing it with communion. What, what, one of the things, maybe the main thing we're, we're celebrating when we take communion is we are remembering the cost that Jesus paid to welcome us into God's family. I, I want to read another quote by Sam Albury that I think just captures this really well. He says, when Paul asks us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, he's not asking us to do something easy. Christ's welcome was anything but easy. It wasn't a wink and a smile as he passed by. He came to us when we were far from him. He bled for us, laying down his life in humble service. He welcomed us by experiencing divine unwelcome himself, being forsaken by God, he brought us in by being thrust out himself, suffering outside the city gate. We've been included because he was excluded. He welcomed us at the cost of all he had. 
He held nothing back. His welcome is no small matter. No true welcome ever is. When we celebrate communion, we're remembering that. Remember, his welcome was no small matter. It costs him something. It costs him everything. And yet we're also remembering that because he's paid the price, we've been welcomed into God's family. That's why we eat and drink together and not separately when we go out the doors and go home. We're reminding ourselves, we've been welcomed by Christ into God's family. And now we're also called to pay the cost to make this family be a family. Probably not shedding our blood or giving up our bodies, but by laying down our lives in such a way where we at times are uncomfortable so that we might love and serve and care for one another and welcome one another in. So what we're going to do for the, this morning for communion is we're going to take communion together, and then after we're done, I want you to turn to one of the people that you sat next to and just have a three-minute conversation with them. After three minutes, the band's going to come up, and they're going to start leading us in a song, and I'm going to give you questions that you can ask, because if I was in your shoes right now, I'd think, what is Kyle doing? So I'm going to give you questions you can ask. They'll be up on the screen then. But questions like, how long have you been at Keystone? What brought you and kept you at Keystone? What do you do throughout the week for a living? Ask, ask questions about their job or if they go to school, their school, or if they're a stay-at-home parent about what that's like. What, what do you enjoy doing outside of work or your normal responsibilities? What, what do you do for fun? What, how was your week? What, what was a good part of your week? What was a challenging part of your week? You don't have to ans- ask any of those questions if you want to ask your own. Those are just suggestions. And my guess is if you do ask those questions, you're not going to get through all three in three minutes, or maybe just one of you does. And and let me just say two things. First, yes, this is likely going to feel a little bit uncomfortable or difficult, especially if you're more introverted. That's intentional, because being a welcoming church is going to feel uncomfortable and difficult at times. And then second, this is likely going to feel forced and a little bit manufactured, because you're sitting there and you're thinking, Kyle's forcing me to do this. And that's what I'd be thinking too. And yes, you're right. But it's also reproducible because every single Sunday we could go up to someone and have this type of conversation for just three minutes without it being forced or manufactured from up front. And as we do this, it's a short opportunity to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So let's take communion first to celebrate the welcome we have from Christ and then seek to practice that welcome. On the evening before Jesus was crucified, He took a cup and gave it to his disciples and said, this represents my blood that was shed for you, for you to be welcomed into God's family. Drink this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread and gave it to his disciples. And he said, this represents my body that will be broken for you tomorrow so that you can be welcomed into God's family. Eat this in remembrance of me. Now with that in mind, let's take just a couple minutes and practice being a welcoming church by turning to someone next to you and asking some of those questions that are up on the screen or some other questions that you want to ask. And after three minutes, the worship team will come up and lead us in singing.